Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. My name is Brajabi Haridas. Um, I usually make the joke that I'm well known as the husband of the temple president, but I won't, I won't say that joke this time. <laughs> so welcome. Um, I'm reading my, uh, my marching orders from uh, the temple president, what I'm supposed to say. Tell some story or of interest from your week. Okay. No, but um, I did have some thoughts today. This week I was in Billings, Montana, deal- working with uh, Native Americans there, and also um, uh, had a lot of uh, correspondence with some Native Hawaiian people in, in Hawaii. And it just reminded me of how much um, people... There's a lot of suffering in this world, and it's really important for us to uh, take our spiritual practices seriously and take deep shelter of, uh, of the Lord in, in whatever tradition we're following. Um, and, of course, this week our, uh, our hearts go out to the, uh, the members of the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh where there was that uh, terrible attack, attack yesterday. Hare Krishna. Um, if everyone could move, you see there's a big gap here. People could move forward because people come late and uh, they, they may, they're, they're hanging from the rafters in the back. That would be great. And silent your phone. And we are very fortunate this week to have His Grace Garuda Prabhu here to speak. Um, usually when people introduce Garuda Prabhu, they say that he went to University of Chicago and he got his PhD from Harvard and he's a tenured professor, but I won't say any of those things. Uh, right? <laughs> Yeah. Instead, I'd just like to, you know, um, because we often, uh, when we introduce him, we often uh, emphasize his uh, academic credentials. Um, Garuda has uh, equally, if not more so, uh, spiritual and devotional uh, <clears throat> credentials, a longtime servant of Srila Prabhupada. And something that I don't know, Palaka Prabhu might know this, how many, if there's anyone else who would have the uh, claim that he has. So the, our deities here... Uh, often in some temples, all deities are installed at the same time. There's one ceremony, and all the deities are set up. But in our temple, it was done at three different times. And Garuda Prabhu is the only one I know who was at all three of those ceremonies. I think Palika was. May have, may have been. Okay, well, you so you'll have to think about that. Yeah. So, all right, you guys can work it out later. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the talk today is, as you say here, it's about parrots. No. It's uh, the, the, the uh, uh, anatomy of bhakti and analysis of prema in theology of Sri Chaitanya Vaishnavism. So please offer a, a nice uh, Iskhan of DC welcome to His Grace Guru the Puru. Hare Krishna. Nice to be back. Today's little talk will be on anatomy, the anatomy of pure love in bhakti. Now, yesterday we had a little seminar, and it was called Harvest of the Heart, Celebration of Kartik Season. And there I was encouraging us during this time to think about this special season during which we can accelerate our devotion. So I thought I would try today to serve all of you in that way and to show all of you by the end of this talk that each one of you has pure love within your hearts. Now, some of you may think that's going to be quite a challenge, but I'm going to show you that you have pure love right in your hearts. Prema. One of the things I asked yesterday was, have we loved much and have we loved well? 
These, I insist, are the ultimate questions that we will all ask ourselves in the ultimate minutes of our lives. Have we loved much and have we loved well? We'll come back to that theme. So, moving right into our talk, and again, with the purpose of harvesting the pure love in all of our hearts today, in celebration of the Kartik season, I'd like to take you on a little journey through the anatomy. Uh, sorry for the rather physiological term, but it has its use. And in a sense, it is anatomical because it's, it's skeletal. We can't get into the full richness of the, of the Krishna Bhakti process, but allow me to outline for you today how we climb into purest love for Krishna and Radha. First, I'd like to begin with uh, some words from Prabhupada that we even reviewed yesterday. We are worshiping here Radha Krishna, Prabhupada says. Originally, there is love. Therefore, we, being part and parcel of God, we are also trying to love. A man is trying to love another woman, Woman is trying to love another man. This is natural. Now, when Prabhupada says this is natural, what does he mean exactly by that? Prabhupada also, uh, that is a misspelling, two is one, one oh. To see Radha and Krishna everywhere is to see their love everywhere and in everything all of the time. Prabhupada speaks about this over and over and over again. So I want to relate how love in our personal relationships, our familial relationships, our relationships with friends, and relationships of this world actually are key to developing pure love for Krishna. And the other way around, how developing pure love for Krishna is also a way to infuse our relationships of this world with purest love. You can see it everywhere. Love is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's even in the animal kingdom. How can you say there's not love there? Does anyone not see love here? If you do not see love, please leave the room. Yeah, okay, that was pretty funny. Okay, good. Okay, I'm glad to see no one is leaving. This is great. Again, if you cannot see love here, again, please leave the room. I think it's just so obvious. Notice these are two male lions. So they're friends. This is not a male and female lion. This is, these are two male lions. Is that, what's that? They may be homosexual, you think. <laughs> Okay, this is TMI, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to ignore this gentleman's comment right here. Okay, it's not part of my lecture. Okay. Again, it's all over the animal kingdom. So, let's talk about prema. Let's talk about... Um, so, Prabhupada, when Prabhupada said this is natural, it's natural over the whole animal kingdom which includes humans. But let's talk about the steps to achieve purest love. And this is uh, uh, a list of the nine steps, to, uh, or eight steps to arrive at prema. But let's go over them one at a time. Okay? Adoshadha. First, this is in, from the Chaitanya Charthamrita in my own uh, explanations of each of these very key terms. Shraddha is where we all begin. And what is important to note is that the word Shraddha has embedded within its morphology the very meaning it wishes to express. Where one places one's heart, places dha and Shradd, heart, constitutes the beginning of bhakti. Where one places one's heart, we all place our hearts somewhere to something on something. But what is important to note here is that from the very beginning, we engage our hearts. 
love is already there, at least in latent form. Pure love is there in latent form. Yes, indeed. It is something for which we should cry out. Just as that was timed, by the way. That was part of the plan. So first there is Shraddha. First there is Shraddha. Next there is Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu, of course, we always think of saintly bhaktas. And that's a kind of obvious meaning. But what's not so obvious is that it means uh, leading to a goal. It actually means the leading to a goal. So coming together with those who lead us straight to the heart, which is the goal of bhakti. So that's the next step. After one is placing one's heart on the deliberate practice of bhakti, one then comes together with those who can lead our hearts to the goal of bhakti. And those are sadhus. Those are sadhus, teachers of bhakti. The third, bhajana kriya, the sacred actions of a loving heart. Sometimes it has the connotation, the specific connotation of initiation of diksha and shiksha. But it means the sacred actions, kriya, of a loving heart, bhajana, um, uh, loving practices, loving uh, uh, sadhana. Fourth, anartha nivritti, those meaningless things. Uh, whoops, uh, this is a mistake. Kriya, it should be uh, anartha, okay? Those meaningless things, anartha, in a life of loving devotion cease turning. So things fall away that are meaningless when it comes to the life of the heart. They cease turning. Vritti means turning. And ni means to stop, the ceasing of this turning of our focus on things that are meaningless for the life of the heart. Nishta is next. So again, we're climbing up this ladder to prema. So here, nishta, one becomes firmly fixed in the life of a loving heart. This is where one becomes fixed in uh, the life of devotion all of the time. One is just, one can't, Think of really much else. Then ruchi develops. One experiences the pleasure in the offerings of one's loving heart. So there's great pleasure in this uh, harvesting of the heart. Asakti means one develops very intense attachments within one's loving heart. So not only is one uh, uh, developing a, a, a great deal of pleasure in offering love to Radha and Krishna, to the devotees, to all living beings, but one develops attachments and a closeness to the objects of love. And then eight is bhava. One develops very deep feelings within one's loving heart. So you can see how this is ever increasing in intensity and intimacy and, uh, and a, a lot at these lofty levels of developing pure love. And then finally, we arrive at prema. One awakens fully to the deepest and purest love, which is prema, within one's loving heart. So we start with a loving heart, but we evolve to this purest and and deepest form of love in our hearts. And that is the bhakti practice. But if you think it stops there, we have eight more processes to go. You thought we were done, right? No, we have eight more processes. Purest love then takes these forms gradually increasing, st uh, these forms gradually increasing stages of intensity. So prema, we begin with, the first step is prema. This awakening fully to the deepest and purest love as we just spoke of. So the last step of moving up the ladder to prema becomes the first step of even intensifying and developing love even more deeply. 
Now, this is not meant to discourage anyone. This is meant to encourage. This is an exciting trip. This is a great voyage that we all have, that we've already begun, all of us here. Next is sneha. One develops tenderness within one's loving heart. Mana, one develops boldness within one's loving heart. Pranaya, pranaya, one develops very affectionate feelings within one's loving heart. Raga, one develops pure passion within one's loving heart. So there's a great deal of intensity and yet tenderness building up at the same time. So this is what happens within prema. Once we arrive at prema, we are going even more deeply into the depths of prema. Isn't this exciting? I mean, this is an amazing voyage that we can all take. Anuraga, the development, uh, the the, uh, one develops a greater, yet a greater intensity of pure passion within one's loving heart. So this 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 follows raga. Uh, Raga comes before this, and then anuraga, following that, is even a greater uh, uh, level of intensity of passion. And finally, although this is the penultimate step, but I say finally, and you'll see why when we get to number eight, bhava. Interestingly, bhava doubles up here. It is on the way to prema, and then it is at this very advanced, deepest stage of prema. Same word, bhava, is used. One develops very deep feelings of pure love within one's heart. And then finally, mahabhava the uncontainable flowing of the deepest and greatest depths of pure love occurring only from within the hearts of Sri Radha and Sri Chaitanya. So we don't ever achieve this Mahabhava. But I have a little secret. We do get to bathe in the very purifying waters of the pure love coming from the geyser of Mahaprabhu's uncontainable bursts of love. When we chant Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadi Gora Bhaktivrinda, the Panchatattva Mantra before chanting the Maha Mantra, we are in effect not, we will never be the geyser of Mahabhava Prema but we will be able to stand under the spray of the waters of that geyser from Mahaprabhu. And this is what makes our bhakti tradition very, very special and what makes this tradition stand out among all other wonderful traditions, albeit. But this is a special gift that we can bathe in the spray of of the geyser of Mahaprabhu's uncontainable love. This is a special gift. So what I want to tell you here, what I want to show you, is that prema, according to the Bhakti Sutra, comes in shades. It's not as though you have to wait when you're going up the ladder to get it, and then once you've reached the top of the ladder, you have these seven other steps. No, it's already within us. It is at the very least latent. And therefore, pure love is ubiquitous. And one can find it in all over, everywhere. And so here, there, uh, in the Bhakti Sutra, Prabhupada, uh, or rather the uh, Narada, explains that the sta- shades of prema are conducted by the gunas, the trigunya. So, uh, uh, tamas, rajas, and sattva. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So here I want to just simply show you that bhakti is, we come to bhakti with partially developed prema. It's partial. There are other things going on in our hearts. That's fine, no problem. But we all come with this potential from this latent presence of purest love within our hearts. Why is purest love within our hearts? 
It's because we are part of Krishna. We can't help but have it there. True, it can be very, very covered, as we say. Very covered, very hidden, quite latent. But it is there. It is there. And it never goes away completely. When we apply ourselves to the bhakti process, we then deliberately take up a practice where we can harvest this partial presence of prema. And for those of us who have been practicing for years and years and years, we can feel how that heart has been expanding and expanding and expanding. How, how it has affected all of our relationships, how it has affected our interactions in the world. Arjuna forgot about his loving heart on one level. He was confronted with this irresolvable ethical conflict, as we all know, in the front of the Bhagavad Gita. He could not go to battle because of what? Loved ones were on the opposing side. It is unnatural for us to hurt, what to speak of, kill or go to war with loved ones. It is much easier, although war is maybe the hardest thing to ever do, to ever engage in, but there are those who are kshatriyas. There are those who are meant to go to battle for the sake of goodness. And Arjuna was one of those. But when seeing and witnessing on the opposing side persons he loved and honored and revered, he said to Krishna, you know, I think I'd rather die. I would rather die than live in a kingdom where the blood of those I loved was spilled. I would rather die. He considered this. Krishna had to remind Arjuna, just like all of us, he had to remind all of us that while we may get caught up in the world, we all have loving hearts into which we must move in order to solve the problems of the outer world. There will always be ethical conflicts. This is the tacit but powerful teaching of the Gita. There will always be ethical conflicts and suffering and pain in this world. There's no way to get around that. But we must change our relationship to those painful uh, ethical conflicts in the world. It's not about... Of course, we strive to lessen them, of course. But the only way we can do that is by changing our relationship to those kinds of outer world conflicts. And that is the process through which Arjuna went. That is the process of bhakti. Not, try, not trying to change the world right now, but rather go and change our hearts first, and then we can change the world to the extent that we change our hearts, that we open our hearts, that we cultivate the purest love latent within our hearts. So bhakti begins with vaidhi bhakti, the practices, the disciplines, uh, the formulas for living a life of devotion. And then one reaches a stage of raganuga in sadhana bhakti. So both of these are sadhana bhakti, vaidhi and raganuga. And one then realizes full love, and then ultimately rasa, intensified full love. And that's raga bhakti or ragatmika bhakti. So again, uh, within bhakti we have stages, major stages. Now this is a little bit of a complicated chart, but I think it's worth looking at. Partial bhakti, or partial, or I should say, unconscious prema, or partially aware prema, or uh, and so on, is is down at the bottom of the chart where you see latent, okay, and tamas means dark. We're in the dark about the pure love that resides within our hearts. So this is a very dark shade of prema to use this idea of shades. So tamas latent. So prema is latent within all of us. It's sitting there already in every living being. Everyone here is already up to at least vaidhi bhakti, developing 
bhakti, a deliberate uh, 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 will to engage in a loving devotional life. But in those who do not tread the path, yet they are still on the path. He says, everyone follows my path. What does that mean? That means everyone possesses prema, at least latently. So, rajas, there's the partial activation of love in one's life. And then sattva, developing love. Surely we have met people in the world who are very loving, very loving toward their families, loving toward others, maybe friends, and so forth. It may not be the pure love on the way to bhakti, but still, there is something of this latent love that's coming through. Because love is ubiquitous. Then finally, we get to vaidhi bhakti, which is developing the deliberate development of this love. Raganuga bhakti, perfecting it. And then ragatmika bhakti, the complete fulfillment of it. So I think this hopefully is helpful. Um, we see here over on the left, the two arrows going up. Prema starts at a natural level and latent level. There's very little of it, perhaps, but it expands as one goes upward, reaches the transcendental level of prema. And it's about, the right side is basically about shifting our orientation from an egocentric worldview to an alter-centric worldview. That is to say, as Prabhupada would say it, self-interested to a Krishna-interested, to a divinity-interested lifestyle. It's a, it's a shift of centeredness, centered upon God as opposed to centered upon ourselves. So how do we do that? I hope I show how we do that. Okay, so, so we're back to what Prabhupada said in the beginning. We are worshiping here Radha Krishna. Originally there is love. Okay? Originally there is love. So I'm trying to expand on that statement here. Therefore we, being part and parcel of God, we are also trying to love. So that's that partial love, that latent love. We are trying to love. All species even are trying to love. But here's what the Upanishad said, the Brihadaranika Upanishad. Truly, it is not due to the love of a husband that a husband becomes dear, but due to the love of the divine that a husband becomes dear. Truly, it is not due to the love of a wife that a wife becomes dear, but due to the love of the divine that a wife becomes dear. So you see, there is this kind of um, uh, dialectic between the way we love here and the way we love the divine. And each one synergistically increases the other. And that's the way to harvest our love during Kartik. Truly, it is not due to the love of all things that all things become dear, but due to the love of the divine that all things become dear. This is my translation here. So winding up, so how can we love more or everywhere, as the Upanishad says? And how can we love better or more purely? The analogy of two birds on a branch is given in a couple of different Upanishads. One bird is eating the fruit of the tree and the other is witnessing it. The former is the conditioned jiva or spiritual self and the other is the paramatman or supreme self. So I was able to take a picture of these birds. You want to see it? Look at that. You see that? I, was, I found these birds that the Upanishads were talking about. Now I see doubting chuckles here. Shame on you. I got this picture. By finding... The, here, this is how it's translated. Look. This is the self. And back there in a kind of faded distance, is the bird witnessing, who's the divine. And this bird 
is not paying any attention to that other bird. But look what happens when the birds are paying attention to each other. Yes. Rajivihari made a joke about my birds earlier. And I resented that very much, and that is why I did not thank him for his introduction. There is method to my madness here, ladies and gentlemen. That is what happens in bhakti. The self and the divine become intimately and lovingly connected. And thus everything becomes intimately connected to our hearts and to the divine. That is our process in Krishna Bhakti. And all of us can do this during this harvest season of Kartik. Prabhupada says, just join with Krishna, his rasa dance, his play with the cowherd boys, his dealing with his father and mother in Vrindavan. So our, so our this movement, is to join Krishna's pastimes, Prabhupada says. That's what we're supposed to do during the harvest season. We have the great Leela of the Rasa. And we have Govardhan Leela. And both of these particular Leelas incorporate all of the Rasas, as we read in Krishna book, for example. The intelligence is that we should, go, we should again go back to home, go back to Krishna, Prabhupada says, and dance with him in his rasa dance. I'm going to show all of you right now how you can dance with Krishna in his rasa dance today and how you've already been doing it. Have you ever noticed how the Maha Mantra is circuitous in formation? How the names in the Maha Mantra dance? in this circuitous formation of divine names. There's the rasa dance. There's the maha mantra. Can you see it lightly going around? When we chant the maha mantra, we are beginning that joining of the rasa dance. We're beginning to go to the rasa dance to dance with Krishna as Prabhupada has asked us to do. Talk about the harvest season. This is real harvesting, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. So I think we have some time for comments. Illuminations, corrections from Brajubihari. Actually, I would like Brajubihari to admit that my two birds. Very good. I take, I, uh, please accept my uh, humble obeisances and forgive my offenses. I'm not sure I want to. No. No offense at all. I'm glad you pointed out the birds because it became a major theme of my talk. But yes. Yeah. Any comments, questions? Thoughts uh, way back there. Okay. Whoa, they're running with the microphone. Okay. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, after listening to such a wonderful uh, sermon, I, I have two, two words running into my mind and heart. Two it's, words? It's, yes, dilemma and challenge. The dilemma is that, yes, uh, we can increase bhakti in our heart and mind towards Krishna. Also, we were, I was wondering, the challenge is how to induce that bhakti, what you feel, into others who has a devilish mind and who is distracted from God, Krishna. Mm. That is the discussion. Right now, what's, the whole, what's happening, as well as the, uh, during the uh, war, Bhagavad, uh, Krishna, Sarman, Arjuna, you go right ahead, you are a Kshatriya, you're supposed to fight and kill, regardless of your relationship or what have you. 
why did he not induce the bhakti and give a teaching to Krishna instead of war, induce a bhakti and, and love into uh, the person quote enemy? I'm sorry, the last few words I didn't quite get. Why what, how, why did he not induce the bhakti or give a sermon or lecture to Arjuna to have a, um, to have a feeling to induce a teach a love or bhakti into your enemy? Who, oh, to the enemy. Okay. Yes. okay, that was the word I didn't get. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Thank you. There... Of course, the Mahabharata background of the Bhagavad Gita, I think everyone here knows. There was a negotiation, endless negotiations to avoid war. Now, that's on the surface. If Arjuna didn't have his breakdown, if Arjuna didn't have this traumatic experience of being confronted with having to fight a war, with loved ones on the opposing side, if Arjuna could go over there and simply transform all of them into bhaktas, then we would never have had the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. So I say I'm in favor of his fighting the war. But that's just my opinion. Krishna has, you know, one of the major sort of subtle but important teachings that Krishna gives Arjuna, especially in the 11th chapter, and really I think, you're, I think I can best respond to your question by referring you to the meaning of the, the 11th chapter which, in, in which Krishna displays his virata rupa, his vishwarupa. There is a greater world process. I'm sorry, uh, universal form. Universal form. It's where Krishna, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of projects into the sky and all over, everywhere in front of Arjuna. Only Arjuna, though, because he has the special vision to see it. The thousands of faces of the divine, the thousands of arms, and, and he, he sees, in some sense, a greater world process happening before him. I remember uh, uh, Anuttama Prabhu asked me once, he said, I can understand karma on an individual level. I do something bad, something bad in return, you have to pay for it and so on. But what about people who die in, say, the earthquake that occurred in Gujarat years ago? 30,000 people instantly killed. What about the uh, earthquake in, uh, in Turkey? Again, instantly, 30,000 people killed. And it's a good question. There's a greater world process about which we will always be confounded. We'll always be, by which we'll always be confounded. We will never fully be able to understand this greater world process of which we are all a part, in which we are all participants, along with the individual karmas that are being taken care of. But it is in this process that we must trust. And that is what Arjuna, that's why Arjuna was shown this universal form. We cannot comprehend what divinity can comprehend. We must trust in it and have faith in it. And in the meantime, learn how to go within. And that was, that was Krishna's instructions. Be a yogi, Krishna said to Arjuna. You're on the battlefield as a kshatriya. But he's saying, be a yogi. Well, generally, yogis are not kshatriyas. What's a kshatriya? A warrior. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, Rajabihari doesn't know much about this. <laughs> oh, you're asking for others. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, 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 I yeah. I've known Rajabihari for a long time. I just figured out he would know all of this. Yes. So, so yes. So there is a greater world process, and in order to to expand our relationship with reality and to be connected with it in a loving way, we must first practice bhakti, get in touch with our hearts. And the deeper we go there, the deeper we can go in the outer world. Is that okay? Yeah, thank you. Good. We have a question. Okay, yes. This is good exercise for you, I think.
It's good. Oh, look at this. You're doing a whole lap. This is great. Yeah. The next question I'd like to have in the back, because I'd like, to, I'd like seeing him run. It's, it's great. It's sort of a transcendental jogger, jogging of sorts. Yes. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Thank Krishna. you for, for your exposure today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here that a stage of consciousness in order to reach all those steps has to be so pure that myself, I doubt it one day I can get to that, to that point. But now, if you said it's reachable because we have it in our heart and it's, it's been developing, yes. okay, my question is how you transform all the love or how you increment the love inside of you and share it with others when we are involved in all these disasters and all the negativism that it's around us daily. So how can we look for it or where we can look for it in order to at least get a halfway before we die into that process of prema? Yes, yes. First, I'd like to, to uh, address your, your expression of self-doubt. I doubt that I'll be able to attain You don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to judge whether we can or cannot. We are part of Krishna, and that can be, by his grace, completely, that spark can be completely fanned and, and illuminated. Um, the grace of Guru and the grace of God they work so powerfully with just our little efforts. So that's just maybe an unexpected response to your part of your talk, your question. But in a troubled outer world, and even uh, Brajji Bihari mentioned uh, that he went to uh, some Montana. Is that in this country? <laughs> I, I, my geography is very poor. Is that in the, or is that in Europe? That's in this country. Okay, I didn't I, barely. Okay, fine. So he mentioned how there is uh, suffering there. He, he witnessed suffering there. And in his line of work, he's going to be seeing so much suffering and, and people in conflict. You know, they come together and they're in conflict. Just like the first verse of the Gita. The best way to transform others, which is what I think your question is, is all the loving relationships that you have now Deepen those relationships. Connect with them, their true selves, and the presence of divinity within their hearts. Connect with Krishna, just like those two birds. Not this bird, he's just showing off. <laughs> Peacocks show off a lot. Yeah, this is my pet peacock. <clears throat> that was a lie, I don't actually have a peacock. But, but the internet, I consider it sort of my my pet, uh, for things like this. Krishna's favorite bird. But the point is that the, the more we are in love with Radha and Krishna, the more we are deepening and expanding our hearts, the more this contagion will transform others, wherever you go. I have the luxurious job, I put job in quotes, of being a university professor, of religion. And when I go to the university, I teach about Krishna Bhakti. When I come home, I research about Krishna Bhakti. To, to get tenured when I had to or in after, I had, you know, publisher parish, well, I was publishing about Krishna. So I'm a little spoiled. I'm sort of not in the real world. I couldn't do what Brajabihari does, go to Montana, which is not in this country, Oh, that was in this country, or still is. I could, you know, that, th those are the real strong bhaktas that can go out into the world and to deal with the conflict, to deal with the pain and the suffering. I'm terribly spoiled. I just go and I teach the Bhagavad Gita in the university. I get a paycheck, and I go home and I research. And I only go for six hours of the week. That's my full-time job. And, and uh, they only give me four months off.
Roger Bihari, what, why, are they, why are they laughing right now? This is your group. This is your group. In Washington, D.C., you get four days off. I didn't know that. 40 hours a week? Well, I'm, I'm, I have compassion for all of you, I suppose. <laughs> I won't tell you what I had to do to get where I am, though. That was some kind of tapas, I have to say, some kind of austerity. Pollock saw me go through years and years of education and preparation. But in any case, that, I think, is where we need to go. The more we are transformed, the more we have the ability to transform others. We don't even know how much. There, okay, so recently, a student in my class went home for, for break, for fall break. He was driving his car in a rural area of southern Virginia. And a deer came in front of his car, and he swerved off the road, and he went into a tree, and he was killed. Well, he, wasn't, he, he, he was severely injured, and two days later, he died in the hospital. This is a student in my class. And I happened to know that this was a very well-loved student. And in fact, just a week before, he came to me to tell me why he was taking my class on yoga philosophy. Okay? And he was reading Bhagavad Gita during these weeks. And he said, you know why I took your class, professor? I said, no, why? Because I was walking along the great lawn and you happened to be holding class outside. I'm one of these professors who takes classes outside on nice, beautiful days. And he said, this was last spring. And he said, you pulled me over because someone in your class waved at me. And I said, oh, you know him? And she said, yeah. I said, oh. I said, what's his name? George. I said, George, get over here. Come on. He was just walking somewhere innocently, but I kidnapped him. And I made him sit down and listen to talks on the Bhagavad Gita. And he, from then he wanted, he said, that's why I took your class. I want to learn more about Bhagavad Gita. So he told me just a week before he left. So I went to the memorial service because I, his parents had written to me saying, we've heard a lot about you. We'd love to meet you. I, just, I didn't know how they would know of me, really. Students don't talk that much about their professors. So apparently, his parents told um, me that he had told them that there's this really cool professor who I wanted to learn more about uh, the Bhagavad Gita from. And so I, I took his course. And they thanked me for being such a wonderful professor for their son who had just died. It's so, it was so sad. But at least one of the last things he read was Bhagavad Gita. I didn't arrange for this. I did kidnap him. True. That was a little aggressive, I have to admit. It's not so nice to pull students off the sidewalk and bring them into your class. However, it seemed to pay off. So we cannot know the effect we have on people. We cannot know. All we have to do is focus within, but then be generous without. Just as Palakaji goes down all the time, down to the mall, and he's giving out books willing to talk to people about the gifts that Prabhupada has given us. And that's why we're still here after 48 years. 48 years. I'm pushing 100 at this point. Getting old. But as we get old, let us grow deeper into our hearts. The body begins to fade, but the heart is growing more. And that's our process. And when our heart grows more, we connect so easily to other people's hearts. I'm sure you've experienced this. Yes. The state of consciousness, in order to achieve that, it has to be so pure. That, uh, but don't be self-conscious about that. Just be in love with your practice. Just be in love. Don't... don't 
be self-conscious. Sometimes I find devotees are very self-judgmental. Well, like you, for example. <laughs> I, try, I try to pick on him whenever we can. It's out of love, actually. It just, it just doesn't look like it, but it is. Um, what do I mean? It means, like, sometimes, uh, for example, devotees may uh, come up to you or me and say, I could never do all the work that you're doing, all the service, all the wonderful, and, you know, you know, surely, you know, Krishna is so pleased with you and I don't do very much, you know. So again, the comparison. You know, when the gopis went out to the forest to meet with Krishna and they were frolicking around and, and when Krishna allowed them to stay in the forest that night of the Ras Lila, they were just in, in, the, in the wonderful rhythms of Lila and loving interactions. But some gopis got together and they said, you know, we are the most fortunate women in the whole world. On the surface, it appeared that they were very grateful, which is wonderful, but they were comparing themselves to other women. Mm. And what happened? Krishna disappeared. So there's an, an, a tacit comparison when you say, I don't know that I'll ever be that pure. And then you're thinking maybe, well, my guru's pure, but I can't be that pure. So you're comparing yourself to your guru or comparing yourself to others. Let's get out of the comparison mode. Not that you're necessarily doing that, but Brajabihari Bihari asked this terrible question. So the self-judgmentalism comes when we start comparing. And when we start comparing, we, Krishna disappears. It's like a tennis game. I've never played tennis, but whatever. Uh, you know, you, you see one person hitting the ball and the other person hitting the ball, and the volley is going beautifully. You're in the zone, they say, right? Something like that. I'm not good on sports, but... And you're going back and forth, and then one of them says, I didn't know I was really this good. And what happens? The ball drops. It's that self-consciousness that we're trying to get away from. From egocentrism to altercentrism. And that is where we're all moving together. We can help each other. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, Guru to Prabhu, for such an uh, enlivening and wonderful presentation. We're very inspired. And um, gosh. And also, for those of you who missed uh, Guru to Prabhu's presentation yesterday in the temple, it will, it's on soundcloud.com. Uh, forward slash ISKCON of DC. So you can... Uh,